0: This morning, we have just been so blessed. I want to say thank you, especially to our music, Brian on the organ, Magnificent, our choir. Uh, It's been so so good to hear you this morning and your singing. Uh, We are in the season of Easter, and the work of Easter continues. The work of the risen Christ and the empty tomb continues. Last Sunday, Pastor Scott, who misses you all today... Apparently, while it's raining in fifty here, he's in Florida. It's church business too. He tells us, but Scott will be back on Tuesday with us, and he says shares his greetings. But last week Scott spoke to us. He said that 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 Christ, after he's raised from the dead, goes back to those same people. Couldn't keep it together the first time, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. Uh, and says, "You go and tell, go into all the world." And tell them about this. Tell them about the good news. Pastor Scott shared with us that that's our job, to share the good news. Maybe you're convinced. Maybe you've already had a chance to do that week, this week. I hope you have. But maybe you're a little skeptical. Why me? Why this? Why does God tell us to do that? Why did Jesus use those last few appearances to say something like that? And so today maybe for the skeptics in here, maybe for those of us who just need to think through the question of why, I want to talk a little bit about the will of God. About God's will for for all of this. And I can't think there's probably no other place we can really turn to know about God's will than God's book. So let's turn in the Bible to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. It is near the end of the Bible. One of the last books, chapter 3, we'll read verses 8 through 13. It'll also be on the screen I'm reading today from the New Revised Standard Version. He writes this, Do not ignore this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, As some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be? In leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I think about the, word, the, the will of God today, as I think about the will of God, I, I wonder if you're kind of like me. We tend to think of the will of God as very individualized. What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for His life over there? That, that, that God's will is somehow about us. It concerns me because I see it in myself. And sometimes we can really take what is powerful about the will of God, and I don't know how we manage to do this, but we can make it about ourselves. This morning I want to challenge you to think about God's will as something that is bigger than you are. That is bigger than you are. You know, church is one of those rare moments in life where we can lift up our eyes from ourselves unto that which is eternal, that which is holy. I think that's why we have the cross up at the very top there, so we can lift up our eyes to the heavens from whence cometh our help. But when we think about the will of God, we look in God's Word, and the will of God isn't a me thing. It's an all thing. God has just one will, and we see it here in 2 Peter chapter 3, and that will is very clearly the restoration of everything. You're like, oh, how small. The restoration of all things. That's God's will from the very beginning. If you look in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, the very first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From the very first word, God is in the business of building relationships. God exists in relationship after all, right? We say that it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, named not by the thing they do but by the relationship they have. God exists, and God creates, and from that, God makes a world, and God makes a world that is at relationship, at one with Him. He makes that world and makes it good, makes people to be in God's image, and what we find is those earliest people, they struggle, they struggle like you and I struggle, they struggle to trust that God's will is, about, about, is, is the best for them too. And they say, hey, this really needs to be more about me, more about my concerns, more about my fears, and that's where sin enters in, and the world curves inward. And so why do I tell you this this morning? One, I feel like it's important for us to remember that story. You'll hear it a lot from me. Because it points out the very important thing, which is that we have a God who is in the business of repairing broken things. And so we find that God sends Jesus, and he sends him, and we kill him. We don't look to what God is doing, but we look to what benefits us. Better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish, they said, but what we find is that God is at work. God is at work reconciling. God is at work making new things. And, 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 and if I wanted to tell you something that's kind of politically incorrect this morning, I'd tell you that. That we live in a world that is in need of reconciliation and making new if you watch TV or you listen to the media, um, you you will be You you will be led to believe that this world is is having some problems, but it's nothing we can't fix. If you read this book, however, this world has problems, and we can't fix them. And that's tough because you and I are. Most of you, I look around, I know know, the vast majority of you in this room, and I know you are driven, go-getter people. You want to make things right. You want to make things happen. And what we find there is that God says, we live in a world that, that, that has been so broken, so marred by sin, that I need to come. I need to make things right. And in fact, he promises that there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come again and everything's gonna be made right. There's gonna be no more sickness, no more aching, no more aches and pains, no more heartaches, no more tears, no more grief, no more sighing, and no more death. And sometimes we sit around and if we even if we believe it, we say, hey, come on. How soon can we make this happen? How soon can it be? Is this going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? Do you ever sometimes wonder that? You sit there and you watch TV and it's like, come Lord Jesus, come. You're stuck in Lexington traffic and it's, come Lord Jesus, never mind. Uh, <laughs> has that ever happened to you? You know, that's what happened in Second Peter. They knew the gospel. They had heard the gospel but at this point, when Second Peter is written, we believe it was probably written near the end of the first century. It could have been a little earlier. It could have been a little later. And what was an important thing that was happening at this time is this first generation of Christians, those that walked and talked with Jesus, uh, those were those 12 disciples and other disciples who followed. They're now, most of them, old men and women. And they said, wait, didn't it say, didn't Jesus say that he was going to come again before this generation died and so they said hey this generation is passing to the, passing on to be with, to be with Jesus in heaven and 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 he hasn't come back and and there rose a lot of people among them who said hey Jesus he's not coming back god doesn't care he's not at work In fact, earlier in 2 Peter, we didn't read it, but a little earlier in the third chapter, it said, said, do you not notice that since the days of our ancestors, the world is continuing just as it is? There's no hope. And so they said, hey, the best we can do is just live however we want to live. Go wherever we want to go. Do whatever we want to do. And the writer of Peter said, don't believe that for a second. You look, and you see, when you see slowness, when you see God's not returning, it's not slowness you see, but patience. It's not laziness, it's grace. Because you see, when God looks at the world, see, when we look at the world, it so often happens to me, we look at ourselves, and we think, hey, I know Jesus. I've received Christ as Lord and Savior. I got my ticket punched. Come, Lord Jesus. Right? Even in the gospel, we can make it about ourselves. But what does, but what does Peter say? Says Peter says, lift up your eyes to look around you. Look around you at all the people around you in your family and in your neighborhood and in your community and to the ends of the earth that they are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Those are people that need a Savior. Look at the darkness of governments and of organizations. Look at even the problems, the, the struggles in religion. Friends and he says, "Look at those." And he says, "That needs to be restored. And we have a gracious God who is not slow but patient, who is not lazy but gracious. That Peter says, we've got the kind of God that doesn't want a single person to perish. We have a God that that weeps over those who have disobeyed Him and choose to walk in their own way. Some of you have children that have wandered away, maybe from the faith, maybe from you. Do you not love them? Do you not care about them even when they do things you don't approve of? Do you not desire deep what is you not is you not your deepest desire to have relationship with them for things to be restored and reconciled? That's the way God is. God looks out and he sees the world and he sees all the trouble and he, says, it's going, he says, I don't will for any of this, but I will for everything, everyone, to come to turn around, to come to repentance, to come to that place where they, they, they realize they're going down a dead end street and they turn around. That's repentance. That word in, in Greek, metanoia, it, it's not a special religious word. It's just an everyday word for turning around. And he says, I will for everyone to turn around, to turn around from the way that leads to death, to turn to the way that leads to life. He says, I want that for everyone. So God is not slow. But neither is God unjust. You see, would you want to live in a world where where, where evil was never dealt with? Where evil was totally rampant, it was never dealt with, we, we we never we never had any justice in the world. Could you imagine that kind of world? And God says, I won't stand for that either. Because, friends, what he says is God is patient. God wants all to come to repentance. But at the same time not all will. Because God gave us free will. And so there will be some who will not turn. And there will come a day when the time for repentance is over. And we don't know when that is. If anyone tries to tell you they know when it is. They're making stuff up. Can I say that? You remember that a few years ago? The guy said he knew when it was coming. I I apologize. We were not bold enough to say. That anyone who tells you that. Is not telling you God's word. Because what I'm telling, because, and it frightens people too, because it, Jesus himself said, No man knows the time or the day. Even Jesus doesn't know, he said, only the Father. You see, God has a plan, and there is coming a day when it says that, that, that they will be burned up in fire, but not for destruction, but to reveal the world as it is, to be revealed unto judgment. that's God's plan, that's God's will, that that we would turn, that we would come unto Him, but there will come a day when all will be made right, where we will await new heavens and a new earth. And so you may ask me, so what does this have to do with me? Maybe you're thinking that. Because you are not superfluous to this. You are not extra to this. I don't know why. I wouldn't have done it this way. But somehow, when it comes to the restoration of all creation, God wants you and me to have a part in it. I know. You think, hey, I can't even restore and reconcile myself. How am I going to do it for the world? Maybe I'm just the only one thinking. I think a couple of you. I can tell a couple of you are like, "Yes, Amen." That is me. And many, some, some of you are looking there and you're saying, "Hey, listen. This sounds like a big deal. I'm too old. I'm too young. Um, I'm too tired. I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. Give me another reason. I'll give me another minute. I'll give you another reason that I'm not enough." And I'd say to you you're probably right. But you know what? The good news is that God wants to use you anyway. There's not one person in this room he doesn't love so much. Not, it would be enough, wouldn't it, that he sent his son Jesus for you. It would be enough that Jesus Christ died for you. It would be enough that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for you. It would be enough that Jesus Christ is coming back for you. Would not those things be enough? But instead what he says is, and I want you to be part of me, a part of my desire and my will for the world. In fact, what does 2 Peter says? It says, as we wait, we wait and we hasten. Did you notice that? And that's kind of odd, because do, do, you, do you think that you and I can make God do something? Can you and I cause the second coming of Christ? And the answer to that, I believe, is no. But he says, but you can be part of it. Because why? Why is Jesus not returning yet? Why? Because there are still people who are stuck dead in their trespasses and sins. There are still people whose hearts are still heavy. There are still people ground under oppression in this world. And until the door, and that God is patient. And he says, those people, he says to you and me and to all of us who claim the name of Jesus, he says, those people, go and tell. Go and bear the good news that Christ is alive, that death is defeated, and that God wants a relationship with you. Go and tell the world that injustice and evil won't last forever. Go and tell the world that sorrow and weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Go and tell the world, he says. And do you know how I know that? You know how I know this is true? I know it because Jesus told us. We're, we're in this—we're in this season of Easter. Easter is so big; we can't just have one Sunday for it. As glorious as that was here, we have to have like fifty days for it. We celebrate the risen Christ. This is week three, but Easter wasn't over in a day in the Bible either. In all four Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—there are there are times when Jesus returns. And I know you think, "But Jesus returns, and He returns." (laughs) This is so funny, so ridiculous. He returns to the same losers who betrayed Him and denied Him and left Him for dead. And He comes back, folks. I'm going to tell you: if He comes back to them, don't tell Him what He can do with you. Think of what He was able to do with them. And he comes back to them, and you know, all four Gospels, it's a little frustrating, they all have different stories. All of them are different. Some are by the seaside, some are on the road, um, some are in locked rooms, but all four Gospels have one thing in common in the post-resurrection experiences. In all four of them, Jesus sends them out. In Mark, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Luke, says, had you not remembered that in the scriptures the Messiah must suffer, be crucified, raised from the dead three days later, and this gospel be proclaimed to the world. In John's gospel, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And in Matthew's gospel, in those last great words, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing, teaching, and I'll be with you always. In all four Gospels, all four writers remind us that when Jesus is raised from the dead, the next thing is go and tell. Go and tell. And bear witness, and I wonder why. I got an idea about that on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I was with uh, Jeff, who will lead parts of our worship service today. Jeff is our youth director, and Jeff is our one of our is our leader for our confirmation. And I was with our sixth graders, and uh, they were Emory's one of them. Our double duty acolyte today. She was one of them. We talked about the two natures of Christ, didn't we? We're talking about the the Jesus is fully God, right? And fully human. We're talking about how do we make of this? What do we make of this? And, And I got thinking about that. You know, because Jesus was fully human. Do you know he could only be in one place at one time? He could only speak to so many people at one time. He was limited. By God's desire and God's will, he was limited. But then he says to his people, go. And he says, and God will give you the Holy Spirit so that you, it'll be within you. And, and that when we go, we're like little Christs going out so that, that, that Christ is not just in one place at one time. Christ is in any place where a follower of Jesus is all around the world. Isn't that amazing? A friend of mine said, the church was never meant to grow by addition. Isn't that odd? You wouldn't think that, right? You know, I was, you know, we're doing, this church, we're doing well. We are adding new people. He said, no, it wasn't meant to grow by addition. It was meant to grow by multiplication, it was meant to grow by multiplication. It wasn't one fixed person adding one after the other. It was 1 going to 2, 2 going to 4, 4 going to 8, 8 going to 16, to 32, to 64, to 128, to 256, to 512, to 1,024, to 2,046, to 4,096. And now I can't add again. I'm done. 8,192. And it goes. That's how people were reached in the new church. That's how there were 5,000 people from the very beginning, because each one went out to reach one. I remember in seminary, I heard something I'd never heard before, but it stuck with me, and I hope it'll stick with you this morning. I remember someone telling me, You know, the church doesn't have a mission. Did you know that? you know, I think, wait, we have a missions team, we're working, you know, we want to make sure we have the right mission statement, right? You you know this. He says, no, the mission, God's mission, has a church. Do you hear me? The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. You see, God's will of restoration and reconciliation has you and me. We are God's plan. We are part of something big and amazing. And you want to know they've done studies and they find that a major need that you and I have, every one of us, is a need to have a purpose. No matter if you're six or a hundred and six. Some of you are even younger than six in here. You have a purpose too. They've done studies. I was watching a video this week. That was on Facebook, so obviously it's true. Um, But this was true. This was by a professor at the University of Michigan. He spent 50 years of his life studying what makes people move, what motivates people. And they spent 50 years to to tell us that what motivates people is having a clear sense of purpose and direction in their life. And God knows that. Because God put that in you. That desire to have a purpose, that desire to be significant, that desire to make a difference, God has put that in you. And he says, you, go make a difference. Go be part of the mission that I'm doing in the world. Can you believe you and I, we get to be part of it? So how do we do it? We just stop fighting God We go with where God is going. I think some of our kids in here you'd recognize. You go, we'll just say kids. Some of you, this will identify with you too. Have you ever been to the escalators in like a department store, and one is going down, and you're there, and one goes down, but one is com- one is coming down, but it's going from upstairs and coming down. How many of you want to run up the down escalator? <laughs> no. <laughs> Randy, we're not. (laughs) Question, is it easier to go up the down escalator or up the up escalator? It's easier to go up the one that's already going up, right? Maybe more fun, but it turns out you run a lot, you work a lot, and you don't get anywhere because it's running against you. Life can be like that too. You see, when we are going the way God wants us to go, it's like we're going up the up escalator, not up the down escalator. Because the truth is, you no. Know, if we're going against what God's doing, no matter how hard we run, we're not going to get there. But when we go up the escalator, our life is filled with peace, with direction, and with purpose. Jesus invites you and me to be part of what he's doing. You and I get to be part of the most amazing consequential, important thing that will encompass all the struggles that you ever see on television and all the struggles you know in your own heart. And that is to be part of this amazing work of reconciliation and restoration of the whole world reaching all people. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's bow for prayer.